three last week that was tacked on to the end of last week's lesson um, so starting in verse four it's kind of intro to a new section this section is going to last from from um, right here to verse four all the way to four so it's this is pr pretty much the story of the fall uh, but Chapter two is going to set everything up. Um, the first first uh, first verses are are kind of tough, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of questions in there. But it says in verse four, it says, "These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens." The word generations there is that word we talked about, toledoth. Uh, there's ten, ten of those in Genesis, and each one is broken up into sections. So there's ten sections. It'll say these are the generations of Abraham, these are the generations of Noah, these are the generations of on and on and on. But this is the beginning, the uh, generations of the heavens and the earth, uh, the section of the heaven and earth, how they were created. And chapter 2 is not another creation. There's a lot of people that will tell you that... Um, that uh, there were different writers uh, and they uh, kind of cobbled this book of Genesis together. Uh, some people use the word Elohim for God. Some of them use Yahweh for God. And the different writers do different things. And so chapter 2 is just a second creation account. It's a different whatever. Uh, but it's not the case. Chapter 2 is really just focusing in on the creation of man. Uh, the chapter 1 we saw was the whole of creation. We saw everything created just kind of a general overview. It just kind of looked over the whole deal. Um, chapter 2 is going to focus in on man, the creation of man and then chapter 3 of course is going to show what happens when man disobeys God and and uh, and uh, the, the uh, creation is plunged into sin it says and, and these are the difficult verses right here it says and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole of the face of the ground. And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So what's the problem? Anybody see the problem? It's not a problem, but what what is the perceived problem there with Genesis 1? Compared to Genesis 2, 4, 5, and 6. Well, he didn't say it was good. But you remember the order of creation in Genesis 1? What came first? Light. Light and keep going. You don't have to get them in exactly exact order. Light, the waters, the land, plants, animals, then man. See the problem? The perceived problem? We're at the bottom of the food chain. Well, <laughs> we're actually at the top of the food chain. But here it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, the Lord God not caused it. There went up a mist from the ground, and the Lord formed man. So it almost sounds like man was formed before the plants here. Now, that's not what it's saying because of that little phrase of the field. There's a couple of different theories as to why this is it. The one that I hold to, I'm not going to waste time giving you the other ones because they're wrong. Uh, but 
The one that I hold to is that these are cultivated plants. These are not just wild whatever plants. You know, it says of the field. Every plant of the field. There's some question about that word. The word plant there is not the same word that's used in chapter 1. So there's question about that. There's question about whether this part is looking to forward to the fall. Because the people reading this for the first time, they would have known the toil and labor of cultivating plants and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, they, they, they need to know that it wasn't like that in the beginning. Uh, plants, you know, just grew without. There was work. You know, he was called to, to till the garden and to, to cultivate the garden. But this is the toil and labor, all that kind of stuff. Basically, to simplify the whole thing down, uh, it's talking about the cultivation of plants, you know, the planting of plants and rows and seeds and toiling and sweating over it. He says before the plant of the field was there, before the herb of the field was there, uh, the Lord God caused a, uh, not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. It gives us two reasons why there was no plant of the field, no herb of the field. What are the two reasons why there was no plant of the field? And there was no herb of the field. There was no man to till the ground. Yeah. No, it hadn't caused it to rain. There was no man to till the ground. But it tells us that the Lord God just watered it. There's some also some question about the word that's translated mist. Could be spring or underground river. Or There's a lot of different things. But... The point is, God watered the deal. God watered the deal. It says, Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breath there is not used for any other creature other than man. It's a different word used for, for animals. And uh, it, he breathed the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's kind of important when we're talking about, last week we talked about the image of God. Man became a living soul. Man doesn't, most time when we think of it, we think of man possessing a soul like I possess a soul. No, you don't possess a soul. You are a soul. That's what makes you you. You understand? So I, I mean, I can't prove it, but I kind of take this as part and parcel with being part of the image of God. Uh, for instance, if you lay me out on a operating table and get a guy with a scalpel, you can't dig in there and find my soul. You can't dig in there, even if you cut my brain all up, you can't find what makes me, me. You know, my personalities, my likes, my dislikes, my fears, my... You can't find that. It's not in there. It's an immaterial part. That's what makes me, me. You can cut off my arms and legs. You can, you know, whatever. You can cut off everything you can cut off that'll still keep me alive and have me alive on machines, and I'll still be me. You know what I mean? I'll still... That's not... Those things, arms, legs, the, the parts of the body... That's not what makes me who I am. There's something in there that is me that you can't find with a scalpel or on a MRI scan that makes me who I am. That is who I am and who I am is a living soul. And so it says man didn't man didn't possess a soul. He is a living soul. Man became a living soul. And so uh, God forms man. Now, if you're paying attention, uh, a lot of times we, we miss these things. In verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about the garden. This is the first time in the Bible that he is called the Lord God. It's the first time that the word Yahweh is used. For you, for most, of, most people don't speak 
Greek or, or Hebrew. So you can know if you look in, in your King James Version, if Lord is capitalized, if every letter, L-O-R-D, all four letters are capitalized, it's a translation of the word Yahweh. Every time you see it in all caps, the word Lord, it's Yahweh. That's being translated. If you see it in just the L capitalized with O-R-D in regular print, it's the word Adonai. Okay, so every time you see Lord with all caps, that's God's covenant name that's being spoken right there. Yahweh. That's Yahweh is the, the, the name he spoke at the burning bush when he said, I, who are you? He says, I am that I am. That's how Yahweh, that's what Yahweh means is I am. And so uh, this is the first time that God's covenant name is spoken. All that in chapter one, it was all Elohim, which is just God, you know, just God. And so it was God did this. God created this. God said, let there be light. God did this. Here is the first time where God's covenant name. If you look in Exodus, um, I can't remember the chapter. I think it's in three or something like that. He says uh, to you, I'm, he tells Moses to you, uh, I'm going to be called Yahweh, which is I am that I am. Um, but to your, your fathers, I wasn't known by that name. And so it's a covenant name when he makes covenant with his people. And this is the first time it's used as he's talking about the creation of the, the, the placing of man in a garden. What we're going to see as we look through this is the garden is not just a cool uh, paradise where God sticks man and tells him just to, you know, have a good time, whatever. This is God making covenant with man. God, man is going to be God's priest king in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden is going to be, it's kind of, it's going to be a temple. It's going to be God's temple where he walks with man in the cool of the day and all that. And it's going to be, of course, messed up when the fall happens. But you're going to see this temple imagery all through the Bible. And I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, I'll show you how it all works. But whenever you see in your Bible, whenever you see L-O-R-D, all caps, it's Yahweh. It's God's name, Yahweh. And whenever you see just the L capitalized, it's Adonai. Okay, Adonai just means Lord, Master. Okay. And so it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Here it says eastward in Eden. He planted a garden in Eden. Uh, a lot of people make a big deal out of that, but there are other places, uh, Genesis 2, uh, 15 in this, own, in this chapter, and Genesis 3 uh, talk about the garden of Eden. So either way, I, ta I take it either way. I don't get hung up on, no, it's a garden in Eden. It's not the garden of Eden. Of Eden. It's also it's spoke of both both ways. The word Eden means delight or pleasure. Um, and so you know, that's what it was a place. When you think of garden, you know, you think about mama's tomatoes out in the backyard, you know, that kind of thing. It's not that kind of garden. It's kind of like a, what you would think of like a botanical garden, you know, like a, you know, I don't know if there, there's any botanical gardens right here. They had one in uh, Mississippi called, or Alabama, called Bellingraph Gardens. And it was just like this big, huge, you know, you walk through it and it was a, some, uh, I think the ESV translated as, as orchard just because of the whatever. But the the garden, the Eden means paradise. And it's interesting. This is really interesting to me. You probably you, you may not care, but the word garden, anybody know what the word garden is in Greek? It's paradise. That's the word. Paradisos is the is the word for garden. And when we go to Revelation, as we're, we're going to have to go to before we get through chapter three, um, 
at the end, you're going to see the same imagery in the new city, the new heavens, new earth that you see right here. You're going to see the tree of life. You're going to see the river that flows out of the city. You're going to see the, uh, the, the, the jewels. They're going to be, we're going to see here in a minute, they're going to be precious jewels and gold and all that kind of stuff. You're going to see all the same imagery that you see, and there it's called the paradise of God. Even Jesus in his letters to the seven churches said, to the one who overcomes, I'll grant him to be with me in the paradise of God. And sometimes we don't connect those two. We think in paradise, you know, it's a, you know, that's just a cool place where everything's wonderful. The, the word paradise in Greek means garden. So it says in the garden of God. So what you see in Revelation 20, 21, uh, or 21, 22, is you see a return to the way creation was always supposed to be when he created. It's a new heaven and a new earth where perfection is completed and it's a re restoration of how we were in the garden. Make sense? Y'all just looking at me. Anybody questions? Nothing? Ready to go. Let's go. Huh? Ready to go? Yeah, pretty good. Go stand out there in the highway. It'll, hey, yeah. it'll take you on. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay, never mind. That's not a good idea. Verse 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is, look at the trees, they are pleasant to the sight, good for food. Then he put two trees we're going to look at in particular. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the, the we'll get to those trees in a second. But the point here is that they lack nothing. I mean, think about it. you're walking through this garden, this paradise, and there is all every tree that you see, every bush, every whatever, everything you look at, it's pleasing to the sight. It's beautiful. It's it's um, I don't know, uh, aesthetically wonderful, amazing. It's just everywhere you look, pleasing to the sight and good for food. I mean, it's not just like. Sometimes it, when we say it's good for food, we take it to mean like it's okay to eat. You know, it'll keep you alive. No, it's, it's talking about it was it was good. It was wonderful. It was pleasing. It was pleasant. It was it was you know exciting to eat. Like go sit down. Like right now it'd be like a sit down with a steak or something. But it was it was pleasing for for food for them. You know that it was it was it was a place of awe and wonder. It was a place of of um, beauty and majesty and and sometimes you read this. You know it was pleasing to the side. It was good for food. But that really is emphatic. It was it was. I mean, more than you can imagine. I mean, they had everything. They were given, God provided for every one of their needs. There was nothing that they wanted, nothing that they lacked. Everything was there. It was beautiful to the eyes. It was beautiful to the taste. It was, it was good in every aspect of their life. They were, they were lacking nothing. God provided absolutely everything. And what's going to happen? It's the same thing that happens to us today. When God provides everything, the only thing that we do is we focus on what he didn't give me. We focus on what we're not supposed to do. And he put the tree of life there, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, there's some, there's some question we don't know for sure, but it almost seems like the two trees are side by side right there in the middle of the garden. I mean, we don't know that for sure, and I can't prove that, but it, it almost seems like they're, they're side by side. Of course, you know, the tree of life is 
eternal life. It gives eternal life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not a tree that that it's not as if it, it gives you the knowledge of good and evil, but it's not as if it's uh, God is saying, well, I don't want them to have knowledge so they can't. The point the point of the tree, and I'm getting ahead of myself because this is all going to be in chapter 3. The point of the tree is that is man going to seek wisdom through God and wait for God and God's timing, let him provide, or are they going to try to take it for themselves? And so God tells them, it, it's almost like it seems like it's a probation period, probationary period. You can have anything you want, just don't eat from this tree right here. Now, it's not that there was magic fruit on the tree. Okay, it's not, this is, this is also my opinion. It's not that there was magic fruit, like th- if you eat this, this kind of pear or apple, a lot of people say apple, we don't really know what it is, just this fruit. It's not that this fruit, if you eat this special fruit, it'll give you eternal life. It's God that gives eternal life. And he gave it, he gave it through, it's almost like this is a probationary period. If Adam passes the test, if he passes uh, being obedient to God, if he, if he gets through this probationary period, he will live forever. He will have perfection with God. He will have, you know, his, the God's image will spread across the earth. The garden will grow until it reaches all the way around the earth. That was kind of the, the point of what was supposed to be happening. Uh, so it's almost like a, a, a probationary period. Is man going to obey the covenant that God makes with him, or is man going to reach out and try to usurp God's authority and be independent of God? Of course, we know the answer, and it still happens today. The same, it's basically the definition of sin is that uh, we usurp God's authority. Um, Three times we're going to see the tree of life again in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, we, uh, we talked about the tree of knowledge. Adam is innocent. And it says, let's just read the text in verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. Now it's talking about four rivers. The name of the first river is Pison, that it is... That is it which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. There is bdellium, which is a jewel, and the onyx stone, which is also a jewel. Bdellium is a white jewel, onyx is a black jewel. Uh, and the name of the second river is Gihon, the same it is that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third is... Uh, Hidekel, that it is which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. That fort, verse fourteen, uh, that's the Tigris River, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. And so, we don't really know those four rivers. We know we know two of them: Tigris and Euphrates. Know exactly where they are. Uh, the other two, there's some people say that they're underground rivers. Some people say it's all kind of speculation. All kind of people, but to be honest. Just don't know. Just don't know about the rivers. But notice that it starts with a single river that breaks into four rivers. You're going to see that same river, not the same river, but you're also going to see in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, new earth, the river that, that proceeds out of the city of God. And so you're going to have the tree of life. You're going to have the, the gold, which we just saw in that, the land, the, the precious jewels, precious stones. Those are mentioned throughout the text of the scripture when it talks about the temple, when it talks about the tabernacle, when it talks about the priest's dress, the 
the, the, what the high priest wore and when they talk about the new heavens and the new earth. So all of these, all of these pictures are not just, hey, check out this great land that's, uh, you know, this Garden of Eden where all this gold and jewels and all this, uh, this river and tree of life and all these things. These same images, these same pictures, all the way down to naming bdellium and onyx stone are going to be seen in, in the new city, uh, the new Jerusalem. I think bdellium and onyx are mentioned in Revelation in the letters to the seven churches. I'd have to go back and check and look at that. But these rivers are, uh, we only know for sure two of them, Tigris and Euphrates. Any questions? I want to spend most... Is there any speculation to the name for the one river that splits? Oh, no. We don't have a clue. We don't know where Eden is either. Um, Most people are going to say, which seems feasible that it's in Mesopotamia somewhere, you know, right in there, the Tigris and Euphrates, that's where... You know, they say civilization started and all that. It's right, right in there because uh, you know they're going to be cast out, and that's where the cities start. And uh, Chaldees is the right there where Abraham's going to be called out of. So it, it's just a theory. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I can't prove it. Can't. Wouldn't wouldn't fight and die on a hill about where it is or nothing like that. Um, but the point that we're going to see here and what we're going to focus on is what man. Is supposed to do, and this is this is the really what I wanted to get to. That's why I was kind of rushing through the other. Um, what man is supposed to do in the garden? It's really interesting. He's you're going to see him as a priest king. Now, does that perk up your ears about anything that you've read before in Scripture? Being a priest king, that's what the believers are called. Isn't it? We're called priests and kings to our Lord. In Revelation, we're called a royal priesthood. We're called uh, the the uh, the kingdom of priests. We're called. That's who we are as as believers in Christ. We are priests to our God, and we reign and rule with Him. You know, He says that over and over again. And so, what what we're going to see here is a correlation as to what Adam is supposed to do and what we're called to do. And it's really interesting that this is the beginning of the storyline for the whole Scripture. So, if you miss if you miss this right here, you're um, you're going to be in the dark a lot about if you when you're reading through different passages of scripture about what is exactly happening, what the storyline is. You ever read a book and you're thinking, I have no idea what's going on. They have done lost me, whatever. Usually it's because you didn't pay attention at the beginning when all the clues were being given. And so it says it says uh, after the rivers, it says, uh, and the Lord God took the man. And put him in the Garden of Eden. That's where it's the Garden of Eden. It said Garden in Eden earlier. To dress it and to keep it. Now, those two words are very important. It's a, in, in the Bible, they're going to be translated different ways. Uh, to keep usually means uh, to, to keep something or guard it, to protect it. Uh, it can mean either one of those things. A jailer is a keeper, a guarder, somebody who guards. And to dress it means to, to work it or to, to serve it. To, you know, in this case, it probably means to cultivate it, you know, all those kind of things. But it's interesting that those exact same two words used together 
together, uh, used together, I had them wrote down. I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. Uh, those same words to guard and to keep, to, uh, to guard and to protect, to keep and to serve, to minister, whatever, however you want to say it. Oh, I did write them down. Abad and Shamar. Those two same words are used in Numbers 3, 7 through 8. You don't have to write these down. Numbers 8, 26 and Numbers 18, 5 through 6 for the ministry of the priests in the tabernacle. The same two words, same two construction, same same way they're used for the priests that minister in the tabernacle of the uh, in the woods of Moses. And the same two words are also used in 1 Chronicles 23 and Ezekiel 44 about the priest's work in the temple. And so the picture you see here that the command God gave Adam was that he is to be the priest, so to speak, of this temple of God. This is the place on earth where God dwelled. You see it over and over again where God, they walked with God in the cool of the day and God was there. His presence was there. The same thing you see in the tabernacle where God's presence dwells in the tabernacle among his people. Same thing you're going to see in the temple as we go look at 1 Samuel second, uh, or 2 Samuel. First, Second Kings, Chronicles, those you're going to see God's presence dwelling in the temple. Where here is God's garden temple. It's interesting as heck to me because if you look at the construction of the tabernacle and the temple, you see all this botanical imagery. You see pomegranates and flowers and all these things woven into the tapestries, woven into the curtains, woven into the thing, engraved on the temple walls. You see all these things. You see the cherubim. Later on when man gets kicked out of the garden, who's going to be put at the door of the garden? A cherubim with a flaming sword that protects and, and won't let man back in. You're going to see the cherubim on the, on the walls in the temple. You're going to see, it's almost like the tabernacle and the temple are representations of what the garden was in the beginning and what the new Jerusalem is going to be in the end. And so when you see the tabernacle, the temple, and all those things where God dwells, what you're going to see is remnants. Some, some even say that the menorah, the seven-tiered uh, lampstand, is an image of the tree of life. And so you're going to see all these things that are that are connected between the Garden of Eden, the temple, the tabernacle, and of course the the New Jerusalem. That makes sense. Any questions? Well, back to the correlation of just a perfect relationship and fellowship with God. Well, yeah, it's being in the presence yeah. of God. From, from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacles to the temples, you know, and then going back into the new city. Right. You know, it all comes back to... That's the storyline of Scripture. The garden was where man and God fellowshiped his temple. And then, of course, man lost it. Man sinned. And then God banished man. And God called Abraham. And, and Abraham would, would come and he would build these altars. And later on, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle. And that's where God dwelled, in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And they would pick up the tabernacle and go wherever they went. They would go and the cloud would descend down on the tabernacle. And that's how they knew God's presence was there. God's presence dwelling with his people. And then later on, Solomon builds a temple. And God's presence dwelled in the temple with his people. And they came to the temple and they 
sacrifice. And they did all those things. And God's presence was in the Holy of Holies. His manifest presence was in the Holy of Holies. And then Jesus came. God's presence was on earth. He was the temple. Jesus said, my body is the temple. You destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. And then Jesus died on the cross, ascended into heaven. And then the church became the temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you, dwells in you. His presence is with you. And in the very end of Scripture, there will be a new heavens and new earth where indwells righteousness and God will dwell with his people forever and ever and ever. Amen. So, yeah, and amen, it comes after forever and ever. And so you see the, you see the storyline moving through Scripture. It's all about God. His promise to Abraham is what we're going to focus on throughout Genesis. It's going to be, I will be your God and you will be my people and I'll be with you and I'll, my presence will be among you. And so you see that over and over and over again. And so it seems like he is called here to be a uh, he's given dominion earlier. We saw that in the last chapter. But he's also called to care and to guard and to minister there in the uh, in the garden. And when I say minister, I'm talking about to keep it, to to care for it, you know, to care for that garden. And he's going to fail. He is supposed to guard when that that word keep also means to guard. He's supposed to guard the garden. But who did he let in the garden? Oh, come on. You know the story. The serpent. Serpent shows up and the serpent comes and says, Adam, I need to have a word with you, right? Yeah. No. No. He talks to he talks to Eve. Right. And that's important because Adam is the one who has been given the command. God didn't give Eve the command. God gave the command to Adam before there was an Eve. And then he created Eve. And so Adam had to have told Eve the command. And of course, he come, we'll get all, I'm getting, that's chapter three. Hey, before we get any further, I do have a question. Okay. It may not have any significance, but I just noticed. Okay. In seven, seven. it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and breath of life and became a living soul. And then in eight it says, And the Lord God planted a garden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. In 8 and 15 it says, it kind of seems that Adam was formed not in the garden. Because it says that God put him in the garden after he was formed. You know, I don't know. It's possible. 15 says um, that he took the man and put him in the garden. Right. Well, the word the word put there, and I'm, I'm going off of, of something I read this week that I vaguely remember. Um, the word put is has to do with <clears throat> has to do with rest. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, I think it would be safe to say that God formed him from the dust of the ground. And then God planted a garden in Eden. God formed this garden paradise and then placed the man in there. So I, I wouldn't see anything wrong with thinking that. <clears throat> I mean, whether he created him in the garden or put him in the garden after he created the garden. I, I mean, I, well, it may. It, I don't think it's significant, but I mean, it's a good question to ask. But it's not something that I have a definitive answer. This is this is exactly what happened. I, I, I don't know. It's possible. It's very possible. Anybody else? Okay. I did read that. Maybe I'll read up on that. It's something about rest, and that's where we get Sabbath. And I read a bunch of that stuff this week, and it really stuck out to me. But I, I didn't. I had to be selective about what I brought to y'all, so we could get through. You couldn't create him in 
the garden because the garden didn't exist yet. Well, that's that's the that's the argument is that he created the garden for man. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. After man, he created man from the form, from the ground, then created a garden, then placed him in the garden. And like I said, it really the point that he's making. Remember, <clears throat> this is something y'all. This is something we probably need to talk about too. This is historical narrative, so I'm not saying just because it has poetic elements doesn't mean that it's some kind of fable that we just need to take the, the you know, there are some people that will teach it and say, now, it just, it just shows, you know, it doesn't mean it's literally true. It's just, it's just showing that, you know, this, this is the, the, the lessons that we need to take from the. No, this is, it's historical narrative. Moses would have written this and the readers would have uh, taken this as this is a exactly what happened uh, but he's not writing it to give us a newspaper report a journalistic uh, chronology of how things happen uh, he's not saying uh, okay this happened and then this happened and he's not just giving us a news report he's not giving us he's telling us this whole section is about uh, the fall of creation from 2 uh, verse 4 all the way to the end of chapter 4 is about how creation got messed up the way it is and so he's not he's not really interested in in giving us details about uh you know this is the way the garden was made and it just says god planted the garden and then he stuck man in it you know what i mean Well, yeah. So, well, man was created last. Right. Out of the dust and the ground. So he had to be there. Yeah. But we're saying that there necessarily wasn't a garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mine says seven formed the man, and then in eight it says, then he planted a garden eastward in Eden. In Eden. And there he put man. Yeah. So, I mean, seven, he was formed eight. Put the Sounds good to me. I think that I think that's what mine says too. You know, there's stories. You growing up and you listen to this, you know, stories. You kind of just think that Earth was created as a garden. Yeah. Like when God created land and water and trees, you know, all of that. You kind of just assume that the entire Earth was was being made into a garden of Eden. Yeah. Not the Garden of Eden, a specific place. Place on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's now that is that's true. And the reason I think is because when God gives Adam the command, which we're going to see again, he gives the same command to Noah, gives the same command to Abraham to be fruitful and multiply. What he's what he's saying there is he's going to we'll talk about this further when we get to it. But what he's talking about is spreading the image of God over the creation. Man is to start there in Eden and that Eden that image of man of God is supposed to spread until it consumes the whole creation so that the entire creation is filled with the image of God that it that it is the the temple of God and of course you know the story it gets messed up right in chapter 3 
then instead of being there in the presence of God, he's kicked out of the garden and he goes off to, you know, goes off to have a bunch of babies and do a bunch of bad stuff. You know, we'll see that as we go. Cain and Abel and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the last two verses we're going to look at, we're going to stop at um, 17, I think. Yeah, we're going to stop at 17. And it says... Uh, Lord God took man, put it in the garden to dress it, to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Now that's a Semitic idiom. Uh, what that means is uh, literally it says eating you will eat. And that's a good translation means it's talking about freely you will eat, abundantly you will eat. Uh, it's talking about certainty. You will eat. You, will, you can have any of these trees. Freely you can eat from any of these trees. Anything that you want to eat, you can eat. So he's given him complete provision for every single thing in the garden except for one. And verse 17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's the same idiom there. He says, In the day that you eat of it, dying you will die. And so he gives him complete provision, eating you will eat, or you will freely eat. And then he gives him a covenant stipulation. He's making a covenant with Adam right here. You will not eat from this one tree. And when the day that you eat it, dying, you will die. And so he says, you can have anything you want. He's making a covenant with him. He's saying, I'm giving you all of this. He says, but this is the one covenant stipulation that I have. You will not eat from you will not eat from this this tree. If you eat from this tree, you will you will die. Now we talked about the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Here's the question. You know, you know man is gonna eat from the tree. We're gonna talk about all those kind of things. Next week, the 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 latter part, I'm stopping here because the latter part of chapter two is all about the first covenant marriage. And so we're gonna talk about marriage and the covenant marriage and what that means in the next in the next section of chapter two. Um, but in in you know what's gonna happen. You know eventually in chapter three, man and woman are gonna eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they are going to realize they're naked. They're going to hide from God. They're going to be cursed. They're going to cat be cast out from uh, from the uh, from the garden. Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evils is uh, it's a symbol for wisdom. Uh, for wisdom of how how is Adam not know good and evil? Like at this point, Adam is innocent. He doesn't know good and evil. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't make moral choices because God given him a command not to eat assumes that he's able to make moral choices but his innocence is like it's like a child's innocence i mean that's probably what we can relate to best because they run around butt naked don't even know it you know what i mean like that's what kids do they run around in the birthday suit and they don't care you know but and for a hebrew that would be you know that was shameful shameful to be naked so do you think is it that God doesn't want them to know what evil is? God doesn't want them to know what good is, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is it that God doesn't want them to have that knowledge? No, I think it was more or less that God just wanted Adam to solely depend on Eve. Yeah, I think so as well. 
God is going to introduce the concept of good and evil to Adam. They're going to mature. They're going to grow. They're going to do all the things that you and I do as Christians and as human beings when we grow up. The, the question that needs to be answered right here is, before we go any further with creation and all these, the question that needs to be answered is, is man going to usurp God's authority the same way that Satan tried to do when he tried to ascend to the throne of Most High? Is he going to wait upon the Lord? Is he going to trust in the Lord that he's going to provide? Is he going to trust in God that he's going to give him everything he needs? Or is he going to try to get, uh, is he going to try to get what he thinks God refuses to provide? We're going to see that in the temptation as we look in chapter 3. Of course, Satan's going to come and you know what he's going to do. He's going to tempt man or tempt a woman with the one thing that uh, the one thing that uh, God said that you can't have forget about all the things God has given you and God has provided for you but it's always the one thing that you think that you need you think God is trying to hold back from you and we're going to see all kind of lessons that are involved with that he comes to the woman the woman messes up the command you know I'm getting way ahead of myself but I'm sorry, say that again. Why 